This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down the barriers to your investing journey from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode. Uh, We've recently come off the uh, ASX week on the podcast, where we spoke to uh, five of the hosts uh, from the ASX Investor Day. We loved it so much. We've uh, we've got a sixth with us today. We have. It is our pleasure to welcome Tim Samway to the studio. Tim, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Tim is the executive chairman of Hyperion Asset Management, a $10 billion Australian fund manager investing in high quality companies at reasonable valuations. Tim has worked at Hyperion for over 25 years, including as MD from 2012 to 2019. Hyperion has recently won two Fund Manager of the Year awards and the Hyperion Global Growth Companies Managed Fund, now listed on the ASX. The ticker is HYGG, has returned 23.2% since inception in 2014, which is uh, outperforming the benchmark by almost 10% per Sounds annum. good, doesn't it? does. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, uh, pretty impressive uh, CV there, Tim. So we're going to oh, crack thanks. into uh, a bit of an intro, as always, and have a chat around global markets and then a bit of a deep dive on Square, one of your uh, companies that you pitched at the ASX Day. So let's kick it off with the game. Let's do it. So Tim... Uh Overrated or underrated, we'll throw some themes out there. You tell us your thoughts on them. Right. Uh, we'll start at home uh, with uh, our major index here, the ASX 200. Overrated or underrated? Oh, overrated. So why? Um, our index is full of old world companies. And, uh, you know, we just think old world companies are going to struggle in the next 10 years. It's a world of innovation and businesses that aren't reinvesting in uh, intrinsic growth and actually delivering innovation are going to struggle. So businesses that rely on underlying GDP growth, I, I think are going to find it pretty hard over the next 10 years because in spite of the fact we're in a short-term rotation, looking good, um, bit of bit of short-term growth, uh, the long-term is still looking pretty average. Mm. Overrated or underrated, the NASDAQ 100? Uh, pretty much the same story. Uh, global, global markets are full of old-world businesses. That's how they got there. Fair so, enough. yeah, I'll just repeat the same story globally as, <laughs> as, as domestically. Yeah. Well, uh, if we go from the old world to the new world, overrated or underrated, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency? Oh, man. So... Uh, uh, I still haven't worked it out. I mean, I actually do own some uh, crypto myself. I own some um, Stellar um, and some Bitcoin, and, um, and my son wants me to buy Dogecoin. Uh, <laughs> can't quite do that. <laughs> I've owned Filecoin. Uh, I'm just doing it to watch it. Mm. I, I think it's still. I think it's still in speculation stage. I think it's it's still a, a solution look, waiting for a problem. 
Mm, mm. Um, overrated or underrated the idea of full service brokers? Oh, wow. Um, I think there's a real, still a real need for full service brokers. You know, like a lot of people want to go online and just do it themselves. But, you know, I, I actually started my career. I mean, I'm a chartered accountant for the first nine years, but I did nine future further years after that, starting in, um, in uh, 1987 with a full service broker. And I just know we made a lot of money for a lot of people over that time. So, you know, yeah. Very cool. Nice. Underrated. And then final one, uh, overrated or underrated, Australian residential property. Oh, man. Well, that's uh, I mean, it's a touchy subject. I mean, if you're 50 and over, um, completely underrated, fantastic. Um, and if you're 50 and under and trying to get further into that, um, so overrated, it's not funny. Um, we all need a roof over our heads. We've got to fix that problem. Yeah. So, uh, Tim, we always like to start at the beginning uh, with our guests, and that is to understand the story of their first investment, as there's likely a, a lesson oh, there. Right. So, can you think back and uh, tell us the story of your first investment? Oh, well, okay. So, my first investment was, wait for this, 1974. I bought um, 300 Brambles. Uh, industries. My uh, my father's business partner was a director of um, Brambles. His name was Tom Price. And he said to me, young fella, I mean, I was 14, so I was born in 1960. He said to me, um, this would be a great investment for you. And I'd saved up some money doing a paper run. And I uh, instructed um, my father's broker, who I worked for all those years later. I went and got a job with him all those years later. And I bought 300 Bramble shares. And I held them. I just can't remember how long I held them. But I think I bought my first car with the proceeds of those those shares. So there you go. That's my first share. And and Brambles are still in the Australian equity portfolio of Hyperion. It's probably been our longest term holding. I think it is, yes. Wow. We've wow. held it for 25 years. Jeez. Wow. There you go. That's you impressive. Go. <laughs> that is long-term investing. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've been thinking about investing since 1974. Not, mm. not every day in those early days. Mm. Yeah. So you've been thinking about investing since 1974. You've worked at Hyperion for over 25 years. You would have seen plenty of changes in the markets uh, in that time. Um, but a lot, I assume, has also stayed the same. So are there any lessons or rules uh, of thumb that are just as true today as they were when you started at Hyperion or when you started watching markets? Yeah, I mean, wow, compound growth of earnings is how you make money. So, and that's the hardest lesson for most young investors is that it's patience that, that wins. So, you know, buying low and selling high, that, that can be exciting, but actually buying a business that, um, that can um, grow internally, so high ROE and actually, and actually delivers internal growth over long periods of time and compounds, um, and you just let it happen, um, you know, wonder of the world, um, it just, uh, it's just the winning solution every mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Tim, at Hyperion, have you developed a, a investing philosophy or what is your personal investing philosophy? Well, it's hard not to be influenced by Hyperion's investing philosophy, which yeah. has been built up over 25 years. But I have to say, look, we started with the idea that we'd invest in quality businesses that were innovative, 
that could grow earnings over long periods of time. Businesses with competitive advantages, great products, great services, you know, market-leading ones that could actually steal market share from older world businesses. And and pretty much we're stuck to that for 25 years. I don't think we've changed very much. I mean, we've refined at the edges. We've learnt what's worked and what hasn't. We've made a few mistakes along the way. But we've been willing to back innovation in the long term because time and time again, it's a winner. Mm. Now, Tim, uh, we really want to, I guess, touch on two key things in this conversation. First of all, what's happening in global markets generally, get your view on that. And then we want to do a bit of a deep dive on Square. Um, But before we do, um, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Tim, there's so much noise in the markets at the moment, everything from inflation fears to, you know, all these alternative assets hitting all-time highs, crypto, everything. It just it feels like there's so much going on at the moment. And we want to learn from your experience and get you to help us separate the signal from the noise. What what are you watching in markets at the moment? What do you, what are you and what does Hyperion think is important at the moment? Yeah, so clearly we are in a cyclical recovery. That's just like that's smacking you between the eyes. Um, Um, It was bad last year and it's getting better this year as we come out of the COVID uh, disaster. But I think the lesson I've learned over so many years of investing and and watching um, other clever people invest as well is that you need to frame your decisions with very long-term horizons. And so we sort of forget that the period after the war was this incredible period where governments spent a lot of money, the population expanded rapidly with the baby boom, the participation rate of women doubled and more in the US, for example, 30% to 70%. And people felt that, um, you know, investors and businesses felt they could use fossil fuel in an unlimited way forever. And so they built massive machines in extractive industries to build more and grow faster. And we had this huge period of GDP growth. And that was an anomaly. That's, that period was the anomaly. But we learned a lot about investing through that time. That is, average businesses exposed to GDP growth was the way to make money. And then for the last 30 years, it's been going backwards. And everything that was a, a tailwind in those years is now a headwind. Fossil fuels, we're going to run out of them if, if we don't stop using them. But you know, it, the reality is we're going to poison our earth if we keep using them at the same rate. So they're, they're going to be constrained. We're in the opposite of a baby boom. We've got an aging population. And population growth is what makes um, GDP grow. And we've got governments that are drowning in debt who are going to have to deleverage at some point in time. So there's a whole lot of things moving against you know, long-term GDP growth. Um, so all those worries about inflation and, in- and, and thus interest rate rises, we think actually are very short-term. We think over the next 10 to 20 years, inflation won't happen. For all the reasons I've just said, plus innovation and disruption are making products cheaper. Uh, renewable energy is a technology. It gets cheaper. There'll be a point in time where energy, the marginal cost of energy will be free. 
Yeah. So, um, and 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 in the past, inflation's been caused by things like wage rise pressure. Well, the middle class who've who have been able to apply all that pressure in the past have been gutted around the world, Western economies. The middle class has been sent, you know, their jobs have been sent offshore, they've been outsourced, they've been sent to the gig economy, um, and and now they're being replaced by artificial intelligence. So, you know, we just don't see taking the longer-term frame that the next 20 years looks anything other than GDP growth low, and that's why you've got to buy innovative businesses that can grow their earnings at above the rest of the market. It's why I made that comment when you asked me about those indices. They're going to struggle for the next 20 years. You've got to be much more careful in your stock picking. Mm. So speaking of stock picking, we um, talk about the importance of building a thesis here at Equity Mates. And in your ASX presentation, you spoke about how to go about building an investment thesis. So are you able to share, you know, what you discussed and how how do you actually build a thesis for a company? Sure. Well, I mean... Uh, what I did say at the ASX is that you, like, there's a lot of work and 25 years of experience. So, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. so, Let's so forget compressing, about that compressing that into <laughs> a, a, a three-minute uh, gr- yeah, three grab is pretty hard. But, but you know, like your questions that you've got to ask yourself is, are you prepared to buy a business that's just going to grow because the underlying economy grows? Yeah? Or are you going to buy a great business that can grow faster than the, the economy? Are you going to buy a business that's in a headwind or are you going to buy one in a tailwind? So like the best business in coal and oil at the moment is actually going to struggle in the future. You can just see that, yeah? Okay. Um, but businesses that are exposed to really strong tailwinds like the move from cash to cards and digital payments, uh, you know, cloud computing, uh, e-commerce, those ones are in tailwinds. And so you buy a good business in a tailwind and it's going to get a lot easier. And then that final point is innovation. Uh, we back innovation because innovators time and time again – just managed to surprise on the upside. You know, like they come up with some clever idea and hey-ho, it's worth money. Um, Amazon's a classic example of that, you know, great business, um, but actually AWS was inside it, you know, uh, generating tons of cash. Mm. Now, you've mentioned uh, innovation and disruption a few times and Hyperion is very focused on those companies. Um, I think some of the biggest holdings in your global fund are Tesla, Square, Amazon, PayPal, Spotify. Very disruptive, very innovative companies. But it feels like every company these days wants to use machine learning, AI, innovation, disruption in their media releases. You know, that they every company wants to be seen as, as that. So what's your process for figuring out... Uh, you know, distinguishing the wheat from the chaff. What what companies are truly innovative and which ones are just doing it in their press release? You've got to measure it at the potential sales line. That is, is this an innovative product that is going to drive long-term revenue growth for this business? And will it be a product or service that can steal massive market share and ideally grow the total addressable market as well? So there's a whole lot of things where the... The product comes in, it grows the whole pie because it suddenly becomes an area that everybody goes, wow, we should have been doing that. And then because they're the first mover, they actually grab the largest slice of that pie and then they go on to keep increasing their slice of an ever-growing pie. So cloud computing is a classic example of that and so is e-commerce. Yeah, yeah. That growing the total addressable market, what Airbnb and Uber did is just 
yeah. phenomenal 100x yeah. the market and own it. Yeah. yeah. And look, and then there's the execution risk. And so there's a lot of businesses who try and do that and never make a profit. <laughs> so I will add the second half of that is we need the line between that increase in sales and eventual earnings, which is what we're there for. And so businesses like Uber, well, you wonder whether they'll ever, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas businesses like Spotify, they've gone from loss, but they're, they're moving re- very rapidly into profit. Mm. So Tesla has been the largest holding in the global growth And still fund. is. And still is. Yes. Okay. So given that its uh, market cap is larger than the rest of the auto industry combined, yes. um, what is the thesis for Tesla going forward, particularly as we now have Volkswagen coming in and- Sure. Saying it's opinions. market leadership. I mean, it's the, it's the same story. It's it's years ahead of its competitors. Okay, so if you just look at a car and a car, okay, so they both look like cars. But actually, as you start pulling it aside, pulling it apart, and looking at the customer experience, um, I own a Tesla. I mean, seriously, it accelerates like a six hundred thousand dollar Ferrari. <laughs> I still feel like a boy. We when should I take get... it out after this. Yeah, well, <laughs> we also yeah. have to get a six hundred thousand dollar Ferrari to compare. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right, that's right. Well, I've driven both, and I can tell you the Tesla's more fun to drive. Wow. Um, but it's also the way that it just continuously updates. I mean, you know, I've had a couple of German cars over the years, and I've had I've had one car where you know three or four years after I bought it, I said, hey, there's all of these new roads in in Sydney and my GPS, can I get the update? Oh, no, we don't have an update for that. I was like, hang on, you've just made a whole part of my car, which I use all the time, completely worthless. Mm. Well, the Tesla just updates overnight, all that sort of stuff. You know, like that's just clever thinking. But it's more than that. It's the way they've designed um, every part of the car and then every part of the software and then every part of the distribution uh, system. So, you know, like dealers don't want to sell EVs traditional dealers. Why? Because there's no servicing. Mm. And that's where they make their money. (laughs) So traditional automakers have got lots of problems in getting to the stage where they're really competing against Tesla. And that's why it's worth so much, because we think they can maintain that market share over a long period of time while the total addressable market really expands quickly. And if they can keep that market share as the total market expands, you know, the uptake of EVs increases, the profits will flow. So how do you think about companies like Volkswagen who are trying to, I guess, internally disrupt themselves and quickly start competing with Volkswagen? Well, they have to. They've, they've been left behind and you know they've been left flat-footed mm. and they have no choice to do this because their vehicles will be completely redundant in 10 years' time. So they have no choice to do so. But they're losing money on cars they sell that are EVs. Mm. They're going to have to discount them to really get them out the door. But we think it's great they're doing it because it validates the whole thesis that the whole world is going to turn to EVs. So um, we're not against, you know, like uh, good on VW, good on BMW, good on all these these car you know car manufacturers. Get on with it because we need that total addressable market to expand quite substantially. Mm. How do you think about Elon Musk buying a billion dollars of Bitcoin? <laughs> uh, I think it was a billion and a half. A billion and uh, a half, yeah. And uh, look, it's it's a rounding error on on their balance sheet, um, and it's great PR. Um, yeah. yeah. Would I have done it in the same circumstance? You've heard my comments about Bitcoin. <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, you know, like he's doing ninety nine percent of the stuff that we'd like to see uh, really well. So yeah. the execution is is amazing. There's virtually nobody that's taken a, a car company from where it is to 
the quality of the build that they produce now mm. in that time mm. uh, and, and and innovate so so quickly so rapidly mm. and started a space company yeah on the yeah, side. yeah and <laughs> solar panels and, and you know and batteries <laughs> and, and you know and and yeah. everything else yeah. and have time to you know think about Mars yeah <laughs> Elon for me and Tesla uh, is just the classic example of signal and noise like yeah. there is so much noise around Elon smoking weed on podcasts you know <laughs> tweeting things moving yeah. to Texas all this random stuff COVID conspiracies whatever it is yeah but the the signal underneath it all is he's executing on two incredible businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. Like seriously, he's landing, he's landing space vehicles back and reusing them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I read something the other day. I mean, you know, it's it's like. Um, a jet that flies from Sydney to Los Angeles and you just dispose of it after it yeah. gets there. Yeah. I mean, seriously, that that's the sort of um, dynamic he changed. Mm. Yeah. That's how they used to think. Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. Uh, Bill Gates, a couple of years ago, uh, said you wouldn't mistake Elon Musk for Steve Jobs. And I think when all is said and done, Elon might go down as better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, that's like right. Like, if he gets us to Mars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We want to do a deep dive on Square, but you mentioned Spotify there, and Spotify is an interesting company that we'll just touch on quickly before yeah, we get to Square. Um, sure. bro- we're both big fans of Spotify. Obviously, they're big supporters of the podcast game, so we have to be fans. Um, but it's, they haven't had a great year from a share price perspective. And um, Great. We buy cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Because, they're, well, they're dominating. So, yeah, you know, was- like it's, they're rapidly approaching 400 million users, monthly active users. You know, the, the number of subscribers um, is, is really increasing. I, I think that they've, um, you know, the Hyperion view is that they've won the war of, um, of on-demand. Um, and it's because, you know, their algorithm or their algatorial, I think they call it, which is sort of serving you the music that you want to hear, as opposed to Apple who says, like, here's 60,000 new tracks today, go find yeah, and that's just like that's impossible. Whereas Spotify creates the sort of soundtracks that you know, like I know what you like. I, I'm watching what you're listening to. That's a bit creepy, but uh, but actually, here's something you might like. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, I mean, I listen to Spotify almost exclusively now. Um, my only problem is my twelve uh, year old son gets in the car every now and then because Spotify runs natively in um, on a Tesla. And he listens to Russian hard bass. And so every now and then, Spotify offers me some really weird stuff. Um, but, uh, but it's clever. Like, it's clever. And, you know, like, it's just what I was saying before is that we want a great product that we think can actually increase the total market. And there is a shift. Like, that's a thematic shift that Hyperion is following, the move away from uh, linear radio and television to on-demand. Mm. And so we own Roku and we own, um, and we own Spotify in the portfolio. Yeah. So on the the Spotify story, like it's it's obviously growing top line revenue incredibly quickly. It's, yeah. it's taking market yeah. share. How do you think about these companies, and when do you want? Are you happy just to wait and uh, have them reinvest for growth and lose money year after year, or at well, some not point? Forever, but, yeah, yeah, but yeah. We have a ten year. We take a ten year view. Okay, yeah. So that's where I think we're different from most fund managers. We're yeah. prepared to take a ten year view, um, and there's not many businesses out there you can really take a ten year view on. It needs to be a business that looks like it's to us that it's going to dominate whatever segment it's in. Yeah. It's going to be the winner takes most. I mean, they're called power law relationships. They're the sort of, you know, why do the top 10 sportsmen earn 
you know, 100 times more than the next 10. Yeah, it's that sort of thing. We think power law relationships actually exist in, in um, businesses as well. Um, and increasingly, uh, these businesses become uh, winner-takes-all or winner-takes-most in their particular markets. So we're looking particularly for winner-takes-most type businesses. And that's why we think we can look 10 years forward. There's more probability about the earnings. Mm. What's your? I know we've spoken to um, Alex Pollock about uh, Roku. Mm. Roku. What is your thesis? Very similar. Same. I've listened to Alex talk about Roku. Yeah. Our thesis is the same. Yeah, it's an interesting company. Mm. It is. It is. It's one. I don't know we, if I'm sold on it to be honest. Really? Yeah. Well, do you want to have it out? Oh, no, you need, <laughs> no, you need to. You need to use it though. I yeah, mean, that, seriously. Yeah. I mean, what's 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 special about a lot of the businesses that we own? They're not capital heavy. They're capital light. Mm. You can test most of them from your home or your desk. And, and that's increasingly becoming the sort of product that consumers use, the ones that they can use from their phone, their desk, their mm. – I mean, we've gone from, you know – I mean, when I started work, I just want to put this in perspective, in 1978 as a young trainee chartered accountant, my job included things like going down to the post office and getting the yellow pages of a city <laughs> that wasn't where we were living so that the senior partner could look up a business and perhaps recommend to a client a business they could use in Melbourne, for example, because nobody kept the yellow pages for Melbourne or Perth or Adelaide can you even imagine that no, these days? No. Like, no, you, you've got a supercomputer in your hand. You yeah. just go bip, bip, bip like that. And Amazon does it for you. Yeah. Like, if you're looking for a product, you just want the cheapest one. You don't care where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, logistics have changed. So you can get something delivered from Perth at the same time as you can get something delivered from China or Los Angeles. So yeah. uh, I think things have changed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, I am a fan of the uh, thesis behind Spotify, though, so I'll, put, I'll let that be known. Yeah. Right. Good. <laughs> Doubled down on them recently. So before we move on, to a deep dive on Square, Tim. Uh, we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, uh, Tim, at the ASX Investor Day, you pitched Square. It is the second largest holding for Hyperion at yeah, the moment? Yeah, yeah. It might switch around with, um, with PayPal from time to time in the last month or so. Yeah. So, payment's a theme. Yeah, um, payment's are the theme. So, for those that are not familiar with the company... Um, can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, so so most of you would would have come across those little white boxes that sit on merchants' desks, you know that, um, and and they suddenly became very popular, uh, you know, in the uh, March last year when everybody realised that nobody wanted to handle dirty, you know, COVID infected cash, um, and uh, a lot of uh, merchants ran out, and you know, you can go up to uh, Officeworks and and buy one for four hundred and something bucks, and you can be operating that afternoon accepting credit cards. So that whole seller ecosystem comes with a whole lot of other benefits. So it, it has a point of sale system, which uh, whether you're a restaurant or a retailer, um, it's different. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's particular to those type of uh, merchants. And they do payroll and uh, they do appointments and uh, it comes with the ability to borrow um, because um, Square can see your sales and your cash flow and, and actually it gives you pretty good idea. And, and lots of small businesses really struggle to get short-term finance from banks. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it's, if that were the only story, we probably wouldn't own it. Um, the second part of the story is something that doesn't exist here in Australia yet with Square is the Cash App. And it's the ability of young people who are relatively underbanked. So, you know, we think there's 60 million Americans who are underbanked, don't have credit ratings. Um, a huge proportion of those under 30 don't have credit cards. Uh, you know, my daughter's 17. She doesn't want a credit card. She said, I'm not going to do that. I'm, you know, I don't want to have a, I don't want to run up a balance that I can't pay at the mm. end of the month. So, isn't it funny that millennials are are actually <laughs> cleverer? Uh, now they're getting very clever. But what they'd like is because they're using their phones for everything, is an ability to do it all online. And and so the cash app allows you to get your weekly pay paid into the app. Any largesse that comes from the government, any stimulus can be paid into the app. You can pay your friends, your family directly, P2P, but you can also tap and go. Um, You can buy stocks. You can buy Bitcoin. uh, You can make term deposits. Um, It's becoming super app. It'll do everything eventually. Uh, They'll just keep adding bits and pieces to it. People say to me, you can buy Bitcoin on it? And I said, well, yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure how much money. This is last year. We were buying it in March, April last year. We'd been watching it for a while. And we realised that that thematic was going to get very strong in the middle of COVID, like the movement from to cards and digital payments, especially as e-commerce took off. And uh, I've just been watching the amount of Bitcoin turnover that's going through Square. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's gone from sort of $1 billion, I think their last quarter it was $3.6 billion US dollars worth of turnover. I mean, they only take a clip on it, but still, that's innovation. Yeah. Can you imagine an Australian bank actually responding to the demand and having a product like out that, that, that in short order? So to, con- to confirm... Um it's not actually linked to a bank account. It is acting as a bank yeah, account. Yeah, effectively, yes. Yeah, right. I mean, lots of things now link to a bank account. That is, you can yeah. take money to and from it. I mean, uh, that that uh, that app I use for, um, for for you know for my thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin uh, because <laughs> I'm testing it. Um, you know, that's just a link, so I yeah. can just press a button and it and it and it whacks a thousand dollars out of my bank account. It's not so much bank accounts; it's credit cards that the young are finding it hard because they can't access um, credit credit ratings, and credit ratings are very important in the US. Mm. It's why we think um, businesses like um, Afterpay, you know, buy now. Pay later will will continue to grow because that's a whole demographic that use it regularly. Mm. I saw PayPal uh, launched a credit card yesterday. They did, was yeah, it yesterday? Yeah. yeah. I don't know any details about it other than that. Yeah, no, early days. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, we don't see the death of the traditional credit card companies. They are the rails on which a lot of this stuff works. But um, you know, Ven- Venmo is the PayPal version. It's aimed uh, of the Square, the Square Cash App. It's aimed at a higher um, um, socioeconomic level. You know, well, a more affluent um, consumer. Um, so you know, like each have got its own. It's got, it's got its own level, and and that's why we think there's room for two players in that market. And mm. that's why we're backing both. Mm. Yeah. Square is a fascinating business. Full disclosure: I've been a long-term shareholder. I don't think you are. No. no. Um, Maybe it will be after this episode. Maybe. <laughs> Buying right now. <laughs> what? <laughs> Through the cash app. <laughs> a lot of people probably wouldn't be familiar with the fact that Jack Dorsey uh, has wears two hats in his day-to-day life. So, yeah. the CEO of Twitter and the CEO of Square. Mm. Um, how do you think about a CEO wearing two pretty b- big hats? Yeah, well, look, it's... Um it's a great question, and it's one that we have had to address at on a bunch of companies we own. So Jeff Bezos, 
um, Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we'd actually prefer that um, – well, it's all in the execution. If they're executing well, like tick, you know, um, we're aware that there are potential problems and we'd obviously be aware of the, the, the conflict, potential conflicts of interest. But, hey, these guys are very driven um, to succeed in everything they touch and we love founders that are ridiculously engaged uh, in the execution. I mean, I've heard Elon Musk – uh, interviewed a number of times now. You, you listen to that Sandy Munro podcast. Sensational. He knows everything about every, every part of the car. Yeah, he yeah, understands yeah. the metals and how they work together, and the, the the power that you get out of a motor, and how you you know like it's like right down to the tiniest little detail. He's been across, and he's done the same thing at SpaceX. Well, that's the same with Dorsey here. You know, he's right in the weeds on this stuff. Yeah. Mm. So when you think about the competitive landscape, um, obviously with a lot of these companies in the disruptive space, it's moving pretty quickly and particularly in payments at the moment. Um, where, where does Square sit in, I guess, the domestic landscape in, in America and globally? Well, it, its penetration is only about 3%. <laughs> so it's very early days, you know, like they might have tens of millions of users, but we think they've got, they're only 3% penetrated. So... You know, it's the addressable market, the total addressable market, $145 billion, and they're only just a small way along the way. So we actually think, you know, lots of upside. And, and to your point, though, we are constantly scanning the horizon for potential disruptors of disruptors because that's really what can go wrong, yeah? Mm-hmm. So we spend our lives thinking about what can go wrong with a thesis and who's going to disrupt this one. If it's so good, the crows land. Like when you see a business with return on equity above 25%, everybody else in the market's looking at it thinking, I could do that too. Yeah, this is a question that Alec and I were discussing after a recent interview, you know, a lot of fund managers come on and say we're investing in disruptive businesses and more frequently they're just all becoming the same businesses that everyone's investing in. So at what point do you draw the line and say, this is the norm now um, and we need to look for, as you said, Uh, the disruptor of the There are plenty of disruptive businesses, no doubt about it. Like it simply must be thousands and thousands. We're looking for those few where the winner will take most. Yeah. And, and we hold them in our portfolio at a pretty large weighting. Like, you know, Tesla's in there at 12%. Um, Square and, and uh, PayPal are around 8% holdings. We think the worst mistake a fund manager can make after doing all the work and really holding high conviction is to hold something in your portfolio at 2%. Because yeah. Yeah. if it doubles, you've only added 200 <laughs> basis points of performance. Yeah, true. That's a disaster. We've had stocks in our portfolio like Ari, it's a hundred bagger. Yeah. Wow. And I've had other fund managers when the stock was nineteen dollars say to me, "That's ah, just a website. I'm shorting it." Yeah. Yeah. Rookies. Hundred bagger. That would be nice. Yeah. One day we'll get a hundred bagger. <laughs> so you don't have any mandates then on um, position sizing? Uh, maximum thirteen. We, we twelve normally stops at cold. Okay. Yeah. But thirteen max. Okay. So um, one thing about Square is um, that it's an incredibly difficult regulatory environment to navigate for them as they try and expand globally. I saw Jack Dorsey in a video, uh, like an all-hands meeting. Someone asked him about why they're not moving faster, and he turned that into, this is why Bitcoin is so good, because it's like a global protocol that you know you could, would allow them to roll out a lot quicker. But that's not the world as... Uh, that might be the world he wants, but it's not the world as it is. And Square has... It has to go country by country and 
uh, navigate regulatory approvals. I think you mentioned Australia specifically. Second have- largest market for them. Yeah, but yeah, but ch- how- a challenge like you know our regulatory, um, you know, like we can't get a cash app like that. Yeah, yeah, and he was saying that the banks have a lot of power here, um, and that they own a lot of different parts of like the financial world that um, isn't the same in other countries. I yeah. think he was talking about the payments processing. Yeah. Um, so how, well, do you, how do you think about well, that? Well, that's yeah. why, as I said earlier, the rails that, that exist with the MasterCards, the Visas and the banks are going to, are going to exist. But, but increasingly, banks are just going to become back office processes. You know, they'll lose the relationship with the customer mm. and they'll become utilities. Mm. And that's how we look when we look 20 years forward is that the banks are really going to struggle to, con- to maintain that relationship because, let's face it, they're just not producing the services that customers want. I mean, that's where Square really is doing a wonderful job. It actually says what would a customer want mm. yeah, and delivers it to it, mm. to yeah. that customer. So, but in terms of the regulatory environment, like, do you have to really temper your expectations of, of how quickly they of roll course. out and stuff like that? Of yeah. course, yeah. And then, in terms of projecting, like, is every do you look at every country of course. differently? I feel that would be a lot more analytically difficult than looking at Spotify. Of, of course, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but Spotify's in. I've just forgotten how many countries it's in now but it's a ridiculous number Mm. um i I did know the number i just can't remember it off the top of my head um and there are challenges in every country you go to cultural challenges and currencies and you know and tax and so it's not easy but actually that's why one, one of the things we see with a lot of businesses we think they're and the ones we like is that they are transferable to other countries but not every country yeah, I mean, look at how Facebook tried to get into China. Yeah, 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 yeah you know, and just yeah. any, any or, large or Western Uber tech tried company. To get into China. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, or Facebook. Google. Facebook's <laughs> big opportunity was to take it to the WeChat's of this world, yeah, and it just yeah. never got there. Yeah. So. So, Tim, before we move to the final three questions, just want to remind the Equitymates community that uh, if they've enjoyed listening to what you have had to say, uh, the Hyperion Global Growth Companies Fund is uh, listed on the ASX and the ticket is HYGG. So, uh, if you'd like to back what Tim and the team are doing and, uh, I guess, get access to the fund that uh, they're, they're building... Head over and have a look at that. HYGG is the is the ticker. There's there's also an Australian fund. Um, yeah, is no, it listed as well? Not listed. Okay, no, it's on M Fund. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I mean the ETF is the is the choice. Yeah, um, it's just so simple. You get right in at NAV. It's it just trades like a normal stock. Yeah, um, and that that portfolio is that one that has got one point four billion in it. So it's not a startup. It's actually been running seven <laughs> years now. No, it's very simple. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just another door. The ETF. Um, is just another door to that fund that's yeah. been running as yeah, a managed yeah, fund yeah. all that, that yeah. time. Yes, yeah. it is a managed fund. So yeah. HYGG up here in global growth companies. But as I said, Tim, always uh, finish with the final three, so we'll get stuck in. Yeah, so the first uh, question that we like to finish with is, do you have any books that you consider oh, yeah. must-read? <sighs> Man. So, um, you know, like at Hyperion, everybody reads a lot. And I have to say the investment team, if I, if I look through them, have just like they've got books and books and books and they're all investment books. I'm a little different. So that's a great question. Must reads. Doesn't have to be investing related. No, no, no. Well, I mean, there's a clearly a bunch of big investment books that you just have to read. And I'm not going to go through those because I think you can work out who they are. Books that I read when I was young that I've remembered and I I feel – I still f- can feel how I felt when I read them. So my 
my cousin Stephen was killed in the Vietnam War, and when I read uh, Joseph Heller's Catch-22, it really uh, struck me about the futility of war. I mean, I think that consolidated my views about war um, and personalised them. Catcher in the Rye, J.D. Salinger, um, just, I, I read that as an 18-year-old. I actually... I remember laughing so hard in that book. I still remember the feeling of laughing that hard reading the book. <laughs> and what else? Um, I, I, uh, reading uh, books to children, um, I, I never read um, Roald Dahl as a child. Oh, yeah. And I, um, we were on a holiday uh, when my daughter was about six and I read her, Danny, the Champion of the World. And if you know that book, it's, it's a story about a father and a son and their exploits, and I won't go into all the detail. And it's written from the position of Danny the boy, and but Roald Dahl does a very clever thing in the last page of the book, and he's narrating his conversation with his father, and then he subtly switches it to a communication directly to you at the reader, and you don't see it coming. And, and he says something to the effect that, so what I've been trying to tell you is uh, quite simply that um, my father was the most amazing and exciting man that any boy would be lucky enough to have and, and oh, I still feel it now I, I remember because you're reading to a six-year-old so you yeah. don't read too fast and you're reading ahead and of course I actually as I read that paragraph my throat just closed I'd lost my father the year before and and uh, and I just couldn't say another word I just handed the book to my wife and said finish the last paragraph and I just think reading is one of the most important things you can do in your life yeah yeah agreed yeah and, and I say, go on, go on the last question because I think that leads into the last question. Okay, all right. Well, before we get there, uh, we uh, have a second last question, which is, uh, in 60 seconds or less, what's the best company you've ever oh, come right. across? Oh, Amazon. Oh, Amazon? Just cracking business. I mean, we bought it in 2014. It's a monster. It's, uh, it's changed the way um, everything works. Nice. I mean, really. And then, you know, AWS really set the scene in cloud computing. Um, whether or not you like Jeff Bezos is kind of irrelevant, really. Um, there's lots to not like about him and lots to love about him. But um, but the fact is that Amazon really has changed the world yeah. um, from what I, I knew prior to the prior to the you know internet really coming on the scene prior to 1995. Like mm. I can just see chalk and cheese. Yeah. And then final question: If you think back to your younger self, you know, buying those first Bramble shares in 1974. Um, what advice would you give your younger self? Yeah, so read and read and read and learn. Learning never stops. I am still learning. I'm 60, um, you know, and I'm still building businesses. So, you know, I'm, I'm building another funds management business, um, at the, you know, in, in cattle and carbon sequestration and soil regeneration and another business that's doing carbon uh, – that's doing carbon rating of public companies and, you know, it's like just – Never stop growing, learning, and uh, and thinking about what you can build in the future. Mm. Um, I feel there's a whole other interview we could do at some point yeah. on that business that you're building. That sounds really interesting. Oh, well, yeah. we could do that. But- well, Tim, we'll have to get you back for interview 2.0. But it's been a really enjoyable conversation. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, I know that a lot of our audience would have taken um, a lot of value from that. A lot of the stocks, you know, we're all very interested in. So uh, a reminder, HYGG, check it out on the ASX. But um, very much appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. 
The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.